Metaethics is probably the most important subject you've never heard of. It deals with questions like whether objective ethical truths exist at all, which is a really deep and fundamental question and, um, and one that, when you dig into it, gets complicated really quickly. An objective ethical fact is something that's right or wrong regardless of the attitudes of observers. So for example, we think that murder is wrong. Let's say, you know, next week the government collapses, social norms change, and people start acting like murder is okay. That doesn't make it okay. Um, or does it? And that's what we're going to explore today. And um, if you notice any, like, beeping or anything, it's because I'm, I'm recording this podcast on vacation, so expect... Uh, perhaps a little bit of a, a rougher cut, but I'm going to try to make this valuable and interesting for you guys regardless. So most people don't think very deeply about ethics. Um, and I say that as someone who myself over time, you know, I've kind of found that I've found that when you dig into it, your ethical foundation may be shakier than you think. You might have a lot of like unconsidered implicit assumptions that don't hold or a lot of like deep contradictions in the way you carry yourself in the world. So upon examination, you might realize that like the way you think about ethics is perhaps brittle. Um, and as a result, you might inadvertently be doing the wrong thing, which as an individual is bad enough, but as someone who's working at a tech company, could result in just massive harm on a wide scale, whether you're building a tech company, whether you're deciding what to build, whether you're making decisions on how you're going to implement something and how you're going to make trade-offs, uh, how you're hiring, right? There's there's so many decisions you make that can have a big impact. So under having a good basis for making those decisions morally is a really important thing. Unfortunately, this is a deep topic. Or fortunately, depending on how you're inclined. So this is going to take a couple of episodes for us to build this up. But if you bear with me, we're going to dig into whether there's such a thing as an objective ethical fact and what that implies for making right or wrong decisions. It's hard to be an ethical person and um, we're going to try to make it a little easier for you guys if you can uh, hang with us for a couple of episodes here. So this week we're going to talk about ethical anti-realism and explore views like nihilism, subjectivism, and non-cognitivism. And next week, we're going to talk about ethical realism represented by ethical rationalism and moral intuitionism. Now, I don't want to steal my own punchline here, so I'm not going to tell you um, which of these views I believe in. Uh, instead, let's jump right in and talk about some, some fundamentals here. So in philosophy, an, an evaluative statement is a statement about what's good or bad, right or wrong. It's basically like a moral statement. Descriptive statements are not evaluative. So for example, um, Samson is a dog is a descriptive statement. Samson is a good dog is an evaluative statement. So... There are really like five possible meta-ethical theories in, in a certain sense. As, as we were saying, among the anti-realist theories, there are three major ones we're going to look at. So non-cognitivism, nihilism, and subjectivism. So non-cognitivism says that ethical statements are neither true nor false. 
Nihilus is... Sorry about that. Uh, again, vacation, dog, etc. Uh, ethical statements are always false. That's what nihilism purports. Subjectivism says that ethical statements depend on their truth, for their truth, on the attitudes of observers. So we'll talk about the um, moral realist theories next week, but basically, like, there's two theories there. Ethical rationalism says that objective moral truths are reducible to descriptive facts. And this theory is going to be interesting to explore next week because it really factors into um, science and morality, where it's a, it's, it's a theory that's very attractive to scientifically oriented people. The idea that we could eventually describe the world so perfectly that we're able to capture morality in objective descriptions. Um, and finally, there's ethical intuitionism, which, which says that there are objective ethical truths, but they're irreducible and they're not just describable in non-evaluative terms. So you're not, not able to say Samson is a good dog because he does exactly these three things in a, in a straightforward way. It, 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 in, under ethical in, intuitionism, it almost comes down to Samson is a good dog because there is something fundamental and irreducible that is good that Samson represents. And we can get at that in a variety of... Um, descriptive ways, but we can never fundamentally circumscribe it with descriptive concepts. So what's the problem with non-cognitivism, which is the first anti-realist theory I want to talk about? How, how could an ethical statement be neither true nor false? So in our episodes on logic, we talked about the law of the excluded middle, which says that like a well-formed proposition must be true or false by definition. So perhaps ethical statements aren't propositions. Maybe they just express emotions, right? Which is why they call it expressivism. Uh, and the specific strain of expressivism that says that moral statements aren't propositions, they don't des describe anything about the world fundamentally, they just express an emotion, is called emotivism. Or maybe moral statements just tell people what to do rather than describe something fundamental, objective, that's out there. Um, and that view is called prescriptivism. And again, you may have heard some of these views expressed or maybe indirectly expressed by the emphasis on emotion that people place today, right? Where emotion is considered to be something that's admissible um, or, or valid or contains truth um, in, in a deep sense, right? Um, I'm not saying emotion isn't evidence, but, you know, emotion plus a fundamental proposition that says the world is a certain way is truthful. Emotion absent of, you know, a, a meaningful description about the world being a certain way is just empty. And if it's empty, then it can be, you know, neither true or false. So interestingly, this view is the most popular view in the meta-ethics canon. So here's a problem with this view. There is a mountain of linguistic evidence that contradicts this view. And, and this is basically called like the Frigg-Giac problem. So the idea here is like moral statements act like propositions in every respect, basically. 
So moral statements act like the antecedents of conditionals. If Samson is a good dog, then he's not going to bite me. You know, like if, if, if what I was saying was purely emo- emotional with no meaningful content beyond that, like, you know, the, the way uh, Michael Humer puts it is like, Expressivists believe that a moral statement is saying something like boo on Samson. So if boo on Samson doesn't make any sense, um, you know what I mean? Or yeah. So uh, another example of where like moral statements act like propositions is in terms of like probabilistic assessments. So you can say things like, it's likely that Samson's a good dog. It's true that Samson is a good dog. It's false that Samson is a good dog. You can't say false. It's false that boo on Samson, right? Um, you can say it's not the case that Samson is a good dog. You can ask a yes or no question about it. Is Samson a good dog? You can't ask, is boo on Samson? Um, so... In, in tons of respects, these are some examples, but there are honestly more. There's like attitude verbs taking on proposition expressing compliments, like I believe Samson's a good dog, I hope the Samson's a good dog, um, and, and, and many others that kind of suggest that we treat moral statements as if they were propositions in basically every regard. So the counter to this by the expressivists is basically like an increasingly complicated and confused theory that says like the expressions we used in those previous tests have two meanings one for ordinary descriptive statements and one for moral or evaluative statements and they don't really do a good job explaining why that would be the case they just say that it is and it sounds more like they're trying to justify their a priori perspective on top of the linguistic evidence, there's significant introspective evidence that, um, you know, moral statements act like proposition asserting statements and not just purely like commands or emotions devoid of um, descriptive content. So there are moral feelings and moral judgments, and they correlate imperfectly. Sometimes we're upset about things that we know are wrong, but sometimes we're upset about things that we know are right. Like, let's say, you know, you're sick and you have to, you know, take some medication or go through a course of treatment that's going to be painful and unpleasant. You're going to be emotional about that, even though it is the right thing to do. You know, on, on the flip side, sometimes we can be unmoved by actions we know are wrong. If there's something happening in a far corner of the world and we haven't really connected with it and we haven't really felt it as real, it just feels too surreal and abstract. You know, like there's a landslide in, you know, uh, the Dominican Republic and a bunch of people die. It's like, we know that's sad. We know that's wrong. But until we break through and actually connect with the reality of that and the humanity of that, it feels unreal and perhaps we're unmoved by it. It's too distant from us. So another thing is that people have strong feelings about non-moral statements too, right? So there's just simple descriptive statements that people are very emotional about. Um, 
So what are some good examples of this? So if I say something like pit bulls bite more people than the majority of dogs. Now, there's a lot of pit bull owners who immediately will get their hackles up and be like, hey, you know, like, that's like just breed specific targeting and like it's about the training it's about the individual dog and you know they get really upset about it but it's a totally non-moral statement so basically the fact that strong emotion correlates with moral statements does not prove that those statements aren't proposition-like in nature so unless you're willing to entertain a theory that's increasingly um epicyclic and overcomplicated and inelegant and just seems to really stretch to make its point, you, you have to kind of relinquish expressivism or non-cognitivism. And yeah, I mean, if you guys are strong expressivists, get in touch, uh, ay0n underscore b or contact at um, what is our contact now? I think it's still rdmr.io. Um, but yeah, reach out and, uh, and let us know what you think. Because, you know, I, I, I'm, uh, I'm trying to figure this out with the rest of you. It's, it's a difficult and complicated subject. So subjectivism. Subte- subjectivism is a view that what is right or wrong depends on the attitudes of observers, either as individuals or as entire cultures. So to a subjectivist, X is right means that the speaker or society has a sentiment of approval towards it. People are motivated to be subjectivists in order to be tolerant. But this doesn't provide any evidence for subjectivism. So as an example, let's say I personally believe in being intolerant. Subjectivism says it's right for me to be intolerant. There are better ways to promote tolerance. Like for example, saying that tolerance is objectively good and demonstrating that with an argument. A lot of people also use cultural variation as a justification for subjectivism. So, um, you know, you may notice that, like, moral beliefs vary widely from one society to another. You know, I grew up in, in Singapore, lived in France, lived in India, then I moved to upstate New York, uh, lived in Chicago, and now the Bay Area. And in each of these places, there are different social norms, different expectations, um, a different sense of what's right or wrong, right? Like in Singapore, if you chew gum, you might get caned, right? Like the the cops might, you know, take you to jail and then like hit you with a stick. Um, Whereas in the US, obviously that would be considered wrong and unacceptable. So the idea here is moral beliefs, here's the argument that subjectivists make based upon cultural variation. So what they say is moral beliefs vary from one society to another. Therefore, moral truth varies from one society to another. But here's the problem. There's an implied proposition in between the first proposition and the conclusion, which is that all beliefs are true. This implied proposition is clearly wrong. So, you know, it kind of falls apart there. But let's say we steel man the argument and we say something like, there's so much variation in moral belief because there aren't any facts, underlying facts, for us to discover. So the counterpoint to this is that people converge in belief because reality constrains us. There's convergence in scientific beliefs for that reason. 
right? Our ideas about the way the world is constituted from culture to culture over time have come closer and closer together um, for a host of reasons. Uh, but one major one is that reality constrains us and our desire to operate effectively in the world means that we have to accept certain truths. Um, so basically what you'll notice as well is there's significant convergence in moral beliefs too. Like primitive societies are extremely illiberal typically and more advanced societies are typically liberal, have respect for the individual. And when I say liberal, I mean classical liberal. Um, and, you know, I have a significant disdain for violence. Um, so the idea here is there's also wide variability in descriptive beliefs. So, you know, we don't say that because some people believe it, disease is actually caused by evil spirits or the sun orbits the earth, right? Like, because people have a variety of beliefs doesn't mean that all of those beliefs are true. And there's no reason why that wouldn't be the case for moral beliefs as well as non-moral beliefs. So, usually subjectivism falls apart. When, sorry, it's Chicago traffic. Here, I'll wait for whatever the hell is going on down there to pass by. Do, 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 do. So usually subjectivism falls apart when you consider certain uh, extreme cases, right? So according to subjectivism, Oscar Schindler would be a bad guy for saving the Jews because the Nazi society in which he lived decreed his actions as wrong. And he'd simultaneously also be the good guy because he individually believed that what he was doing was right. So obviously this doesn't, makes sense um or you know like uh, the argument there is it's something that is so bald-facedly wrong so obviously wrong that your moral theory has to be able to accommodate it in order to be valid let's let's put it that way um so what about nihilism right what what is nihilism so subjectivism says that the things you, the things we consider right or wrong are the result of our attitudes or the attitudes of the culture we live within. Expressivism says moral statements are nothing more than, you know, empty expressions of emotion or prescriptions for how other people should behave with no validity or, you know, no, no content about how the world actually is constituted. We can refute those viewpoints using linguistic evidence, among other types of evidence. But nihilism cannot be refuted that way because nihilism says that our evaluative statements are really attempting to describe objective moral facts, but that such objective moral facts simply don't exist at all. So it would be like me saying, like, uni all unicorns are purple. You know, that statement is neither true nor false because unicorns don't exist. Right? Unicorns can be any color and no color at the same time because they don't exist. So if objective moral facts don't exist, then, you know, like, they're all false in that sense. Um, so 
basically like part of this comes down to this Humean theory of reasons. So the Humean theory of reasons is something like if you want cake and you believe that being nice to your local bakery people will make it more likely that you get cake, you then have a reason to be nice. And they believe this is how reasons for action work. They believe all actions are conducted because you want something and you're taking that action to increase the probability of you getting that something. Now, this is a theory you you may have um, been exposed to, right? The idea that, oh, I'm being altruistic because I want the good feeling that comes with being altruistic. Let me tell you, sometimes there isn't a good feeling from being altruistic. Sometimes you have to gin up that good feeling or like convince yourself because it's painful and like you have to make a lot of sacrifice, you know? Um, Not like I'm super altruistic or anything, but sometimes when I am, it stings and I have to be like, okay, well, here are the benefits. Here, here's the good that's coming from it. Let's focus on that. You've got to shift how you feel. Um, so what they're trying to say here basically is like desire is a mental state you can be aware of and it's something separate from belief. And the argument they lay out is something like this. If there were objective values, beliefs about them would motivate us to act independent of our desires. So what they're saying is there is such a thing, if there were such a thing as an objective moral fact, knowing that, knowing about the existence of one of these would make us act independent of our desires. Beliefs alone can never motivate action, according to Hume. Only desires can motivate action. Therefore, there are no objective values. So what are the flaws in this argument that you can see so far? So some of the flaws in this argument might be things like, it's not obvious that objective moral facts would motivate us to act independent of our desires. We often will know something is wrong and disregard that and do it anyway. Or we'll know something is right and we will, you know, do it even though we don't really want to. We don't desire to do to act that way. Um, so... Another aspect of this that's kind of flawed is like evaluative facts imply action. If I say committing fraud is bad, if that's an evaluative fact, the implication of that is that you shouldn't commit fraud. So by the structure of moral facts, um, actions are implied. So you don't need a desire to motivate action given an objective moral fact, basically. Um, and in fact, oftentimes the things we know are right go against our intrinsic desires. So you can question whether objective moral facts exist, but like the argument the nihilists are trying to make is supposed to prove that they don't exist. So you can't assume they don't as part of that argument. So that kind of sums up these three like anti-realist uh, ethical theories and what's wrong with them. So that leaves us in a place where it appears that there may be such a thing as an objective moral fact, which is, you know, a crazy concept to think about. And actually that's one of the critiques of objective moral facts is like the critique of weirdness. 
uh, is like, it just seems strange that there's such a thing as an objective moral fact that exists in the world, but is not um, necessarily measurable or graspable in the ways that other things that exist are. It, it's kind of a, a, a counterintuitive thing. And, and that argument, I mean, Michael Humer in, in his book um, that we're going off of, Knowledge, Reality, and Value, he basically says, like, that's a terrible argument and philosophers should be embarrassed of making it because he's like, what kind of vague, ill-formed argument is like, oh, it's weird, right? Like, what he says is not weird at all. Like, our, everything in our language and our behavior suggests that there is such a thing as an objective moral fact. There are things that are um, good or bad, regardless of the attitudes of observers. There are things where, you know, you could be in, in Nazi Germany where everyone's telling you that it's, you know, okay to, you know, report your neighbor to the authorities when they haven't done anything wrong, but that's still wrong. Um, and and that that holds true for many, many situations. So it gets weirder from here. It gets more complicated from here, but you might already see that. Like you might have, you might've explored some of these arguments implicitly or explicitly in the past and, and seeing the flaws, uh, seeing the imperfections of these arguments is going to give you a foundation to understand like, you know, what, what is actually right or wrong? What do we actually know about what's right or wrong? Um, as you're going about your life, as you're going about your career, as you're trying to create startups or whatever else it is you're doing um, out in the world. So sorry again about the noise. Uh, vacation, not in my regular place, not a good microphone, all those things. But I hope you guys were able to bear with me and get something out of this and I hope you're excited to explore ethical naturalism and moral intuitionism next week. Um, those theories are really interesting and particularly ethical naturalism um, has a lot of relevance to COVID and scientism and kind of like the way in which experts and scientists believe that you're able to reduce morality to a series of objective descriptive statements about the world that are in, a, in and of themselves not moral um so it'll be um it'll be a fun episode next week as well so i hope you have a good week happy thanksgiving um i'm thankful for you guys listening to this podcast and um i hope you have a good rest of your day and night and morning and done <laughs>